Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. Just for the opportunity to be able to come together as a family to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, there is no one like you. You're worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our ark. Um, Lord, the gift of salvation cost you everything. And, and Lord, we acknowledge that this morning. Thank you for his willingness to bear our sin to the cross of Calvary and to suffer your wrath, oh God, over our sin and our wickedness and, and to see that satisfied 2,000 years ago. Lord, I thank you for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I thank you that when I was 12, uh, like what we saw this morning, I, I, I was able to, to acknowledge my sin before you and call on Christ as my Lord and Savior and, and give my life into your care and your keeping. Lord, thank you for the new birth. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the promise of your word. Lord, help us to see that, that, that your wrath over sin must be satisfied, and that's either through Christ or, or we suffer it directly. You are so You were so careful to make sure none of us ended up eternally separate from you in hell that, that, that you, you literally gave your life. The Lord Jesus literally was killed to keep us out of judgment and damnation. Uh, Lord, I pray that no one in this room would suffer eternity apart from you. Help us to be like Enoch and, and to meet with you at Calvary and then to spend our lives walking with you. Uh, Lord, you're good. You're with us in the storm. You're with us in the trials. You're with us in the good times as well. And, and there's nothing more important than having a walk with you to know you. So God, we ask this morning in Jesus' name that you'd give us eyes to see. Lord, give us ears to hear your word. And then God, we want to live it out, be glorified in our lives. Lord, we do pray your blessing over the Bible school. Uh, for those that are on the fence, help them to just jump in and uh, begin endeavoring uh, to, to start studying, to show themselves approved unto you, to be workmen in the word. Lord, we thank you for the offering. We thank you for the giving. We thank you for the stewards of MBT, those who, who are members of this church family, this local ministry, and are a part of seeing the, the ministry of the word growing and multiplying in the hearts and lives of people. We pray that that blessing would continue. Lord, that, that you would bless the offering and that you'd give wisdom to all who are, have the responsibility to, to see it spent for the work. Give, give wisdom and discernment. Lord, keep them from the spirit of fear, but at the same time, uh, give them wisdom. We want to be bold to just invest where we need to invest. Uh, we don't want to be afraid and, and hide resources, but at the same time, we need wisdom to make wise investments. And so I just pray that for all the leaders here at MBT. God, we love you, and we're grateful for your love for us. Uh, you are so good, and we give you all the glory, all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this morning, I want us to see the life and the translation of Enoch, not the book of Enoch. We're going to look at the person, the character of Enoch. So grab your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. The Bible says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. Uh, Methuselah is well known for being the oldest man in the Bible, which in and of itself is a beautiful picture. We'll see that in just a second. He begat Methuselah. And Enoch, this is just a, one of the great Wonderful verses in Scripture, verse 22. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. He, he walked with God. Verse 23, and all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So there's an incredible picture for us in this story of the life of Enoch. So that's your first blank picture 
We gotta get the picture of what Enoch's life represents to us. And so here it is in a nutshell. Enoch's life pictures the pre-tribulational, if you put that in your word processor, it'll come up as a spelling error, but it communicates well, okay? The pre-tribulational, pre-millennial structure of the Bible. The Bible is structured in a pre-dispensational, pre-millennial way. This dispensational, the way God interacts with humanity, this cycle of God's dealing with man is repeated many times and in many ways in your Bible. Uh, repeated as your next blank. For example, okay, how is the Bible structured in this pre-dispensational, pre-millennial way? As I study my Bible, where might I find this structure? Well, it's everywhere. I'll give you two really big really bold examples. In Revelation chapters two through four, you see that structure, you see that picture. What you have in Revelation chapters two and three are seven letters to seven churches, and it is shocking how those seven letters line up with church history. So chapters two and three in the book of Revelation represent, or they picture for you, the time of the church age, and then at the end of those seven letters, what do you find? Revelation chapter four, verse one, after this, after Christ deals with the churches in chapters two and three. After this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. At the last, what? Okay, well, okay. They'll get it in the next service. Okay, at the last trump, what happens, right? Uh, The trumpet shall sound, and when the trumpet's sounding, what will it say? I think it's gonna say, come up hither. That's what I think the trumpet's gonna say. A voice, I heard this voice, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Do you see the picture? Uh, the, the illustration that's represented for you, the dispensational structure that's pre-tribulational in nature. Before the book of Revelation unfolds, before the time of tribulation unfolds, what you have is God dealing with the church, John, who represents the believer being raptured up, and then the wrath of God unfolds on planet Earth. Does everybody see that in terms of that picture? You'll see it again in 1 Thessalonians, Chapter four, uh, what does that look like? Well, First Thessalonians chapter four comes in your Bible before First Thessalonians chapter five. It's brilliant, the way that it works. First Thessalonians chapter four deals with the rapture of the church. Rapture comes before what? Wrath, First Thessalonians chapter five. God, through the apostle Paul, to the local, chur- to the local churches, to the church says, Let's deal with the rapture, and then in chapter five, he tells you very plainly, you're not appointed to wrath. So you'll see that picture, you'll see that structure, you'll see those cycles over and over in your Bible. You know, it's really not good leadership that you didn't get the answer, and for me to say that the next service, they'll get it. It's like that dad that says, you're not as smart as your little brother, right? (laughs) So forgive me. I probably won't quit, though. It's just, I'm a jerk. Okay, so Enoch, like New Testament believers, lived in the last days before God's judgment. I want you to just just go back, get a 50,000-foot view of your Bible. What's happening in Genesis chapter 5? We get this picture of Enoch walking with God, and chapter 5 comes before chapter 6. In chapter 5, we see a walk with God, and then he is raptured out before the wrath of God is unleashed on this planet. And when we get to Genesis chapter six, you will be shocked to see all of the reasons why there was a global flood. Enoch, his walk with God terminates with a translation, with a rapture, and then the wrath of God is poured out in Genesis chapter six. Enoch, the Bible says in Jude chapter 14, is the seventh from Adam. A lot of people get stuck on that. Uh, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Uh, And they'll count the generations, and they'll get six. They'll start with Seth. Well, it's the seventh from Adam. Adam is your first generation. And if you'll count from Adam to Enoch, he is the seventh generation. And what he identifies for you prophetically 
is the believer in the last days prior to the time of tribulation and the millennial reign of Christ. In other words, Enoch is a type of a believer. He is a type of the church, raptured out before judgment falls. So get this down in your notes. Here's the picture. Enoch is raptured out before tribulation or destruction comes because that's what God does with his people. Is everybody with me so far? Enoch, this is the story of Enoch. He is a a picture of the believer in Jesus Christ who is raptured out before God's judgment where the time of tribulation comes. Now historically, we're reading about that in Genesis chapter five and verse 24. But doctrinally, God tells you why in Hebrews chapter 11. Check out Hebrews chapter 11 and verse five. It tells us that Enoch was raptured by faith. Hebrews 11.5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, there's this great revelation to the church. Uh, We don't all die. Some of us, at the return of Christ, are changed. Uh, Anybody who is a believer in Jesus Christ, if the Lord tarries long enough, you will die. Death so far, it's, one, it's a 100%, like it's, there's no recovery from it. It's coming for you, okay? Um, there's no avoiding it. One, every one out of one people in this room, should the Lord tarry, you're gonna die. Do not turn to your neighbor, though, and tell them you're gonna die. Uh, but you can know it in your head and your heart. It's gonna happen. Like, look to your left, look to your right. That's a dead man or dead woman sitting, okay? But that's who we are in the flesh. In Christ, our life, our soul, is no longer sourced in our flesh. It's sourced in the person of God himself in Christ. Uh, Christ is our life, and when he comes, okay, so we don't all sleep. That's how the Bible describes believers who pass on. Uh, they're asleep because they're gonna wake up again at the resurrection. Uh, you can't keep a Christian down. You can bury them, you can put them six feet under, but that grave will not hold them. Ain't no grave gonna keep my body down. Every, absent the Lord's coming, everybody sleeps, but not everybody will. When he does come, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. That is the promise of scripture to the believer. Enoch, in this time before the great flood, he actually walks out what happens to the church. Hebrews 11.5 says, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony. Here it is, that he pleased God. That word testimony in Hebrews 11.5 comes from a Greek word that is transliterated as martyr. It's literally the word martyr. He had this martyrdom, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You know it cost Enoch to walk with God in those days. Remember, again, just take a 50,000 foot look at Genesis. When we come down to the end of Genesis chapter four, what happens? The, The picture was there was something wrong with the first birth, but with the second birth, Seth is now rolling a new way. Uh, They're not not being presumptive in their assumption that every baby born is gonna be the fulfillment of the prophecy in chapter three and verse 15. You remember, it's right after the fall in the Garden of Eden. And what does God say? He says that the seed of the woman will will destroy Satan, will destroy the serpent. The seed of the woman will be a deliverer and will destroy the serpent. And so when Eve has a baby, Cain's the first baby born to humanity, and so she names him Lance, like a a spear. She names him a weapon. This is the Satan destroyer. And, uh, And so Seth now knows better, and so he names his son Enos. And the name Enos is connected to weakness and mortality. Uh, All of a sudden, there's a humility in in humanity that results in men calling on the name of the Lord. And I believe that this, outside of the time of tribulation itself, 
is one of the greatest times of revival in planet Earth. But you know, this is the story of the Bible. God moves, Satan counters. God moves again, Satan counters again. And so what's happening with Enos, with the generation of Enos, men are calling on the name of the Lord and Satan is still at work corrupting. And so by the time you get to the life of Enoch, the world is sliding into sin and we'll start talking about that next time in our study in Genesis. So this is a time, well, it's a time like, it's a, it's a last days setting, isn't it? It's a time, and we'll see this in a minute, it's a time kind of like our time, where good is being called evil and evil is being called good. Um, you, can't, you can't actually call things what they are anymore. Uh, everything is woke speak and everything is, you know, I mean, you just, you gotta just buy into what society is selling you or, or you're an evil person. Who cares what God says or thinks? You need to roll with the world. And so he has this, he has this way of laying his life down in a, in a world that is sliding into sin, in a world that is increasingly wicked and depraved. Here is what Enoch is, he's laying his life down, pleasing God. And if you look at what he's doing, what is he doing? Hebrews 11.5 is a commentary on Genesis chapter five, verses 21 through 24. What was Enoch doing? Look at 5.22. And Enoch walked with God. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God, how? Uh, he walked with God and he raised a family. That's how. He walked with God and he raised a family to follow after God. He pleased God. So God took him. So doctrinally, that's the commentary, right? That's what, hap that's what we're seeing here in Enoch's life, but it points prophetically to the rapture of the church. Again, 1 Thessalonians 4, I think, it, did, I, did I give you that in your notes? 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. Uh, rapture comes before wrath. Uh, it, it can't be more plain. There's your homework uh, for today's message. Just go home this week and read 1 Thessalonians 4, all the way through uh, to 1 Thessalonians 5. Read about the wrath of God and who it's for. God did not appoint you, Christian, to wrath. So, what happens? He removes us before his wrath falls on a wicked world. Now, it's interesting, I gave you a, a Usher's chronology from Adam to Moses, and I just want you to see that Enoch, if you, these are the birth years, right? Uh, I'm sorry, the, 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 the life years, rather, uh, of Enoch. So Adam, effectively born, he was formed, created, and made in 4004 4, BC. We see Enoch's birth in 3382. You add his life to that, and you find out that he was raptured midway between Adam and Abraham. That's pretty interesting, and if you'll just keep going in Usher's chronology, if you'll just keep adding up the dates in your Bible, you find out that Elijah was raptured. He was translated midway between Abraham and Christ. It's like God likes balance in the history of humanity, okay? So both Enoch and Elijah are raptured at midway points between key pivotal events in humanity. Okay, now point number two. I want us to look at the incredible testimony, right? He had this testimony that he pleased God, and so let's Let's, let's spend a little bit of time breaking that down. I want you to get this down in your notes. Enoch had a spiritual understanding of the times. He understood the times that he lived in. And this is why he named his son the way he named him. Enoch lived 16 and five years and begat Methuselah. Methuselah means when he is dead, it shall be sent. That's what his name means. When this kid, when this kid dies, it will come. Well, what will come? Well, if you count, a lot of people, they don't pay attention to Genesis chapter five. They think the genealogy and all these dates are boring and they skip over it. But if you'll do the math, it's not difficult to find out the year that Methuselah died and the flood comes in 27, 44 BC. When Methuselah dies, that's when the flood comes. Who lived the longest in all of recorded humanity? Who was it? Methuselah. You know why I think Methuselah lives so long? Is this cat ever gonna die? I mean, he just keeps hanging on. He just keeps, well, God, the wrath of God, right? God is long-suffering. He is not willing that any would perish, 
the whole time, Methuselah just keeps going. He just keeps rolling. And it's like, this old dude is never going to die. Uh, the ark is building. It is filling. Moses is preaching, right? Methuselah's offspring is preaching the gospel of that day. There is time, there is opportunity for everyone to build their own boat. God is not willing that any would perish. See, Enoch knew what was coming. That's your next blank. It's no wonder he named his son Methuselah. When this boy dies, judgment falls. Jude, in verses 14 and 15, describes the life of Enoch. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. What was Enoch's message? Uh, judgment's coming. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He, like we, lived in a world and a society where mankind as a whole is raging against their creator. And so Enoch wasn't a wussy. He didn't keep quiet. Uh, Enoch, what did he say? Jesus is coming and judgment is in his hand. A holy and a righteous God is coming and he will execute righteous judgment. The ungodly will perish. Enoch did not keep quiet about it because he saw death coming over sin. And he knew that God was not willing that any would perish. Well, how are they gonna hear except somebody with prepared feet in the word of God comes and proclaims the truth of God. How are they gonna know? How are they gonna have an opportunity to give their life to Christ if no one will speak up and speak out? Hey, the sin that you love is separating you from a righteous and a holy God. And God loves you so much, he's so unwilling that you perish, he's gonna make sure, I mean, in Enoch's day, he's gonna make sure that Methuselah lives nigh unto forever because he's not willing that you would perish. And for you, this morning, he literally killed himself. He gave his life to keep you out of an eternity separate from him. Man, Enoch was not a wussy. He was bold and he proclaimed the truth. What did he say? Well, here's what we know that Enoch knew. We know the Lord's coming is sure. We know who will accompany the Lord, his saints. Well, behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his saints. We know the purpose of his coming. It's to execute judgment, and we know the result of the Lord's coming. The wrath of God will be poured out on a wicked world, and that's the pattern that we see in Genesis chapters five and six. God's wrath is coming, and so his, this one who is walking with him, this one who has this relationship with him, is proclaiming the way of salvation. He's preaching sin, and salvation. But more importantly, it's motivating his walk with God, isn't it? So get this down in your notes, key number one. A right understanding of the coming judgment of God is a motivator for purity. Did you get that? The, the, a right understanding of God's judgment is a motivator for purity. Let me give you the illustration and then let's look at the scripture. When, uh, I've told this, it's been a few years since I've told this story, but, but it's, it's, it's appropriate. Uh, I grew up in the Ozark Mountains in southwest Missouri and you know, a trip, a one-way trip to town was about 40 minutes. I grew up in the woods, yes, I am a legit hillbilly. I grew up in the Ozark Mountains, barefoot, overalls, straw hat, hand to God. That's how I grew up. Um, so, so when mom would, when we were little, mom would go into town to get groceries and supplies for the farm. And w she would always leave us with chores. And if we did our chores, then we each got the candy bar of our choosing. Well, so it was a no-brainer. It was either Snickers or Mars bars for me, okay? Because I'm not dumb. I know what's good. So... So what would happen is, is if your chores are done, when I get back, you'll have a reward. I will be away 
you're going to have behavior, you're going to have chores, you're going to conduct yourself in a way that will, if you do it, make you worthy of a reward. Now, if I didn't do those chores, and we ha- I, the proof is in the pudding, I have siblings who refused to do those chores while mom was away. Um, nobody got kicked out of the house. Nobody got disowned. Nobody ended up homeless because they didn't vacuum their part of the house. Uh, but not everybody got a candy bar when mom came home. Okay, so, again, because I'm not stupid, I know I want that Snickers bar, and there's only one way, one way and only one to get that thing, and so I did my, I did my list. And I wised up, because I'm seeing how I'm rolling versus how one particular sibling was rolling, and I, I see the difference between good and evil, blessing and hardship, candy bars or no candy bars, and so I realized... Um, one thing that always made my mom happy was if she would catch me working when she, I mean, I get, she never knew this, but the chores she gave me weren't really, she didn't give us that much work. I could have it knocked out in 30 minutes and then I could just be a, be a lazy bum the whole time she's away. It was like a free day, you know? But when I'd hear that truck coming up the dirt road, right, coming up the gravel road, I would go get back to work doing something. In other words, I would want my mom to come into the house and catch me finishing up (laughs) as she came in, right? And the reason I did that is I knew she was coming, her reward was in her hand, and I wanted it. Okay, is everybody with me? You see the picture? While she's away, there's a work to do, and those who do the work get the reward. And I'm not stupid, I'm also a little evil. I did enjoy eating my Snickers bar in front of a wayward younger brother or sister from time to time. That's not right. I'm just confessing my sin to you. But, okay, because I know what she expects, that's a motivator for my fidelity. That's a a motivator uh, for my industry. That's a motivator for how I'm gonna live. How I'm gonna live is gonna be judged. There's gonna be a result that's coming and I want it to be good for me. It's a motivator. Well, the same thing's true in the Christian life. If you're born again, if you're saved, God's spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're his child. The word of God, when you read the word of God, it's assurance to you. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. So the word of God and the spirit of God is showing you that you're God's child. You know that, you know it in your knower if you're born again, if you're God's child. And, and, And so nothing can hinder that. Nothing changes the relationship between a child, the child of God, and and God the Father. But the reward that is coming, that is changeable. And some will receive more reward than others, and and this is the way this works. If we understand the judgment of God, we're not judged by God for our sin. That was judged 2,000 years ago at Calvary. But we are judged for our service. And knowing that the king is away, and while he's away, there's a work to do, and when he returns, his reward will be in his hand. That's a motivator for our, our purity, our work, our fidelity to Christ. Check out 1 John 3. Verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he, Christ, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, right? Every man, every believer that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. You will live like God made you. When you receive Christ, you're born again. Um, Your sins are washed away positionally, you are sanctified, you're set apart in Christ. Now, the question is, do you live that way? You're made right in the person of Christ. You're now right with God positionally, but are you living saved? Are you living right with God? That's the question on the floor. If you know that Christ is coming and you're gonna see him as he is, are you purifying yourself, right? Are you living how God made you? Are you living Christ? See, the judgment seat of Christ is a great motivator for the believer. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, talking about the resurrection of Christ in verses 35 through 42. Um, Paul is bringing up this question that people have. How are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And, and his answer, because he's such a gentle teacher, 
uh, is, thou fool. <laughs> that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And what you put in the ground is not what comes out. You put a grain of wheat in the ground, does a big wheat kernel come up out of the ground? No, it's a wheat plant. And as the wheat kernel is to the plant, the glory of the kernel is nothing compared to the glory of the plant itself, so also the resurrection of the believer. You see the difference in these bodies, right? God gives bodies as it pleases him, verse 38. There's different kinds of flesh, different kinds of bodies. Look at verse 40. There are celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And then he gets, he gets right down to the nitty gritty in verse 41. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, it's sown a wheat kernel, right? A grain of wheat. And, it, and, and, and just like there's no comparison between a grain and the plant that becomes, so also there is no comparison. You say, well, Miles, you look pretty good. Well, you know, for a middle-aged guy, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that, but uh, I know what's wrong with me. I could tell you stories. Okay, but I won't. I don't want to gross anybody out. I cannot, there's a part of me that cannot wait for the Lord to come for me, man. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because, oh my goodness, my aching bones, <laughs> right? Um, why, 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 why is this body determined to produce bosoms on me? I mean, why? Why is this body, I mean, why, why does every time, if I don't work out for two weeks, why am I starting over? I have complaints and frustrations and, and um, I mean, I can run super hard and, and, uh, and, and Will Mata still beats me at the 5K. I mean, why is that? I mean, just, man, that's, that, even so come quickly, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want my vile body, to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Uh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Uh, but there's more than that. Notice what the Bible says. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. I'll be just glad to have a glorified body, I will. But the implication is, is not every glorified body is gonna be the same. Stars differ from one another in glory. They're all celestial bodies, but they're not the same. Is anybody tracking with me? Not everybody will have the same resurrection. I mean, we'll all get the resurrection if we're believers in Christ. But you've got all your reasons for why. You're gonna live for yourself and you're gonna do what you wanna do. And the focus isn't about Christ and his kingdom over your life, his word being reality over your life. It's your way or the highway and good luck with that at the judgment seat of Christ. You, uh, you're not feeling me yet, so let's keep going. Look at 1 Corinthians, no, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter five. Again, the implication is not every resurrection is exactly the same. So again, verse one, if we die, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the verse where some people will talk about the intermediary body, like when you, absent from the body, is present with the Lord, you get a body that you get to use till the resurrection. I don't know, I'm, I, don't, I don't have a dog in that fight. For this, Verse two, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, if so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up in life. Uh, this is why in verses two through five uh, I kind of lean toward uh, absent from the body is present with the Lord. We're there as a soul waiting, right? The, the clothing happens at the ra resurrection of the church. And here it is, verse five. Now he that wrought us for the same self same thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the spirit. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. 
Now, we're in Christ, Christ is in us, but we're in the body as well. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Verse seven says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Uh, When you die, your soul does not sleep in a grave. Your body, the silver cord is loosed. Your body lets go of the soul at its death. And because you are one spirit, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Absent from the body is present with the Lord, okay? So we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Accepted, what's that about? Well, we're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The way you live out your salvation, that will be judged. Our sin was judged 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Man, my sins have been washed away. You say, well, what about the bonehead move or the, or the prideful move or the lustful move or the arrogant move or the, or the lying move that you'll make later today, uh, Pastor Miles? Man, that was, that was washed away 2,000 years ago by the blood of Christ at Calvary. This is why we confess our sins. I'm worried about making sure my fellowship with God is correct. My relationship with God is secure. That was secured 2,000 years ago. Okay, but now, how do I live out my salvation? Now, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Every, 1 Corinthians 15 says, every work is tried. How the believer lives is tried of what sort of work it is. Was it for self or was it for the Savior? Was it it building a life in this world or was the word of God being built out in reality as reality in the life of the believer? The judgment seat of Christ, we find out if our works are accepted. Verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There's an implication there, right? What you've done in this body will be reflected at the judgment seat of Christ. And then verse 11 is chilling, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing that Christ is coming, and everything that you do as a believer, it will be judged. Every work, every sin of the unbeliever will be judged. Man, we persuade men. See, at the judgment seat of Christ, okay, the stars of glory differ from one another in weight of glory. And I know you say, I'll just be happy to be a dwarf star, right? I'll be happy to be the smallest, most feeble dwarf star in the resurrection. You'll be happy for a while. You'll be happy for a while. Uh, You know, I hear people talk about uh, not being found naked in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 3. Man, I'd be happy. I'd be happy to be that guy in heaven with a little fig leaf over my, my, my giblets, you know, my nether regions. I'd be happy to have that fig leaf. And I'd just, I'd just be glad to be in heaven. Well, yeah, you would be for a minute. And then after a while, you'd be like, I don't like my clothes. <laughs> I don't think it works that way, but you get what I'm saying. I'd just be happy to be there. That's true. But when you see that God laid down his life and he gave everything for you, and you took the gift of salvation that cost God everything to purchase for you, and you just wasted your life living it for yourself, you will be undone. You know it's a thousand years, right? At least a thousand years after the rapture of church, after the rapture of the church, before God dries the tears. I wonder, will there be believers who are weepy for a grand for a thousand years? Look at Second Peter chapter three. Verse 10 says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and all the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, seeing that the judgment of God is coming, seeing how seriously God takes sin, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation, your lifestyle and godliness? Why, what motivates our purity? What motivates us to live our lives the way that we live them? Verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens shall be on, being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot, blameless. When you do a self-evaluation, is that how you would describe how you're living out your salvation? In peace, without spot, and blameless. When you know the king's coming and his reward is in his hand, that will motivate your walk. You say, well, it's really hard. <laughs> I mean, I'm like Lot, and it's true. We're like Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Our, our righteous souls are vexed daily, aren't they? And that's the world that we live in. We'll tell it to Enoch. Enoch walked with God amidst a wicked world. Wicked is your next blank. He walked with God amidst a wicked world and, and still maintained his testimony. And according to Hebrews, it was a good testimony and of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. Well, what's the report on Enoch? How did he live by faith? Well, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Why? For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He pleased God in the midst of a wicked world. So key number two, get this down. Enoch found a way to be in relationship with God like Adam before the fall. You remember Adam and Eve before the fall? Genesis 5.24 says that Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Enoch had a walk with God. In Genesis 3.8, Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And instead of walking with the voice of the Lord, they hid themselves. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They lost that relationship with God through their rebellion and sin. So now here is Enoch, right, the seventh from Adam, walking with God. And it's not a casual stroll for 300 years. The Bible says, I mean, three, at least 300 years. He's got this walk with God. He's in agreement with God. Agreement means surrender and witness. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? At some point, somebody has to say, you know what, you're right, let's go together. At some point, we have to say, God, let your word be true. My excuses are lies. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Guess what? God's not gonna compromise on what he said. So where does the compromise lie? Where does the agreement need to take place? God has spoken, what do we say? <laughs> yes, sir. Why, because God, you're, I wanna walk with you. This privilege that Enoch enjoyed is available to you and I today. Don't you know that God wants you to walk with him? Colossians 2.6 says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. God's invitation to his people is, hey, let's walk together. Let's live together. You're my child. Let's go for a walk. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And the result, the testimony of Enoch, right? He's laying his life down walking with God. He had this Hebrews 11.5, this testimony that he pleased God. What's he doing? Well, he's walking with God and he's raising a family to do the same. It cost Enoch to walk with God in a wicked world. Guess what? If you're gonna walk with God in this wicked world today, don't you know you're gonna take a hit in terms of your personal reputation with the lost? You're gonna take a hit in terms of your value in the eyes of the lost world? But man, can I just tell you something? If you're genuinely walking with God, the lost world will know it. In 1 Corinthians 14, the unbelievers are supposed to see God's people and fall on their face and say, of a truth, God is in this place. Do people say that about your life? Of a truth, God is in you? It cost Enoch to walk with God. What about you? Do you walk with God? Let me give you an illustration. You know, if you only relate to your spouse when you can get something, 
Like the only time you're walking with your spouse, being nice to your spouse, being interested in your spouse, being focused on your spouse is when you want something, like scrambled eggs or sex. Okay, I just described all the dudes, but you get what I'm saying. You're just, you're relating and walking and being with your spouse when you want something. How does that work out? How is that, how is that working out for your relationship with your spouse? Yet that's how so many people treat God, like a hated wife to be taken for granted. I'll focus on you when I want something from you. Otherwise, be quiet, be in the background, don't bother me. How do we walk with God? We need to listen to him, right? If we're gonna have a relationship with our spouse, we're gonna hear our spouse, we're gonna listen, right? Listen to him. We need time in his word, we need to talk to him, we need time in prayer. And then we gotta count on him, right? We gotta live by faith. Real quick before we close, let me give you the incredible point number three, the incredible facts of Enoch's life. Here we have in the Bible the first man not to die, verse 24. Again, we saw this, he's a type. He is a picture of the true believer. We saw that in the example of Seth and Abel before him. But he shows his faith in his fellowship, in his walk with God, and as a result, like the believer in the last days before the wrath of God is poured out, he's raptured, right? He's translated, God took him. And his son was the oldest man, right? His, his, in his lineage, we have the oldest man, Methuselah, verse 27. And point number four, this will set us up for next time. Let's talk about Enoch's great-grandson, the birth of Noah. Noah's name means rest or comfort. And in his life, you have a cataclysm that resets the world. So the picture, here's what we're gonna see in the life of Noah. If Enoch pictures for us the true believer, if he pictures the church that's raptured out before God's wrath falls, that means Noah, his life pictures the remnant, the nation of Israel that's preserved in and through the judgment of God. Right, so Noah becomes a type of Israel, remnant Israel, preserved through the tribulation. But let me just say this as we close. We are on the cusp of living in the days of Noah. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, that's, a, that's, a, that's an iteration on the name Noah, so shall, also, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, we're living in the last of the last days. These are the days like the days of Noah. And what comes next on God's prophetic calendar will be the closing up of God's people, right? The rapturing away of God's people, the protection, the rescue, as it were, through the time of the rapture of the church. And then after that, a time of great tribulation will unfold on planet Earth. And God's not willing that anyone would go through that time of tribulation. But he's not gonna force anyone to repent of their sin and to humble themselves and give their life to Christ. He's not gonna force anyone to be a part of his family. You have to want that. God's not willing that any would perish. This is why he gave his son and he commanded, right, the, the church, he commanded his children to preach that good news, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why those who have a walk with God are proclaiming the safety, the sanctuary, the victory that God provides. It, all, all a sinner has to do is say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and life and save me. All we have to do is submit our lives to Christ, and that changes everything. For the unbeliever, in the last days, the wrath of God will be terrible. For the believer, the judgment seat of Christ is called the terror of the Lord. We're accepted in Christ. The relationship is unconditional. But here's the deal, everything you, how, Christ gave everything in order to make you part of his life. The least we can do is to return the favor. When the creator God gives his life so that we can have it, 
the least we can do is lay down our lives walking with him. That's what he wants. He wants that relationship with us as his children. So that's the question on the floor this morning. Christian, are you walking with God? Are you rapture ready? Do you believe and are persuaded, right? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you persuaded? Right, this is what we saw. Uh, here, is, here, is a, here is a recognition. We're persuaded of wrath to come, and so as a result, we're diligent to live the life that God called us to live. Well, our great-grandchildren, right? Our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, are we training them up to walk with God? Like Noah, will they enter into God's rest? Is that the testimony over God, over his people? I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves before the Lord right now. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, pray for me? Because I don't, I'm not, I'm not walking with God. Uh, how many would say, pray for me? I know I'm a Christian, but I'm living my life for myself. I'm not walking with God like I know I should. Pastor, please, would you pray for me? Can I see your hand real quick? Okay, so there's several. Anybody else? Please pray for me. I know I'm a Christian. I know that I'm God's child, but I'm not walking with God. I'm, I'm actually living for myself. Is there anybody else? Okay, so a few more. Is there anyone that would say, Pastor, pray for me? I don't know God. I don't know that God's my Father. I don't know that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I'm born again. If Christ came for the church today, I don't know that I would go with the bride of Christ. I don't know that I would be raptured. I'm, not, I'm just not sure. I don't know that God's my Father. I don't know Christ is my Lord and Savior. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Please pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know that I'm born again. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Pastor, please pray for me. I don't know for sure that I'm saved. Anyone else? God's worth being right with. He proved it at Calvary. He proved it with every discussion, every word, right? He proved it through the Bible. He hasn't left us guessing. He's worth being right with. Father, I pray for those. There's so many that have raised their hand and said, I don't have a walk or a right walk with you. Lord, help us to see there's nothing better than knowing you and walking with you. So, Lord, I pray for everyone from the pastors of MBT all the way through to those who are visiting today for the first time. Oh, God, that you'd have a people who are walking with you, who know you and are just walking with you. They know your mind, they know your heart, they know your word. You're more precious to them than any series on Netflix, any sports event, uh, any hobby, any activity, any career, any job. Uh, Lord, we recognize that for us to live is Christ, that you in our life, that's everything. <laughs> and then for the, the, the gentleman that's saying he does not know, and I know he's just representative of, of probably several in this room. There's no way with this many people in a room this big there, there are, there's just no way everybody is, is a believer. Everybody is a child of yours, Lord. And so, God, I pray for him. I pray for those that were maybe even afraid to raise their hand or even afraid to admit it to themselves. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that today those who do not know you would call on you for forgiveness of sin and, and just surrender their lives to Christ. He is Lord. And God, I, I do pray that we would have this, that, that, that the members of MBT, that we would have this testimony, that our life pleases you. Help us to be like Enoch, like Noah. Help us to proclaim good news in evil days. God, be glorified in our life, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.